Hey y'all, and welcome back to the Rhythm Session, brought to you by the Minor Foundry. I'm your host, Coburn Blair. This week, Kyle and I are talking about the 25th anniversary of Reasonable Doubt. We hope you enjoy it. If you like what you hear, remember to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Now, let's get into the show. All right, Kyle, we're back with a very special episode talking about a very special tape from somebody, you know, who is still around to this day who, you know, if a verse would to come out, we're still listening to. And that person is Jay-Z. And we're here to commemorate Reasonable Doubt's 25th birthday. What was your first time hearing Jay-Z, Kyle? Because you are older than me. I mean, for me, uh, Reasonable Doubt was the first thing I heard. I listened to it in high school. And, you know, I was super into Notorious B.I.G. as, uh, you know, chunky kids are in their teen uh, years. And, you know, I was really into Brooklyn's Finest. I love that track and Dead Presidents. And I just listened to that album so fucking much. And, um, you know, it's one of those... There's certain albums where I, I wore the CD out, and uh, this was one of them. I think it was uh, this one, The Chronic. I wore out 40 Ounces of Freedom by uh, Sublime and In Utero by uh, Nirvana. I just, like, completely destroyed those CDs just from, like, overusing, pulling them out wherever, throwing them in, you know, CD changers. Like, like this album reminds me of rolling around in... Uh, Shout out to my friend Dave Mayer. Uh, we'd be rolling around in his golf, listening to this, smoking uh, like a bong in the car while we were driving, which was ill-advised, but mucho fun. And it just like, all it does is bring really good memories. And it's still to this day so fucking good. I just been listening to it nonstop in the last few days and it just never ceases to amaze me. Just the, the, the flows, the, uh, the features are great. You got DJ premier on this and it's just a, you know, a tour de force. I can't believe this is someone's first album. Yeah. I mean, like I think, you know, coming into this album, it's really only comparisons. I think are Illmatic and, we're looking at two different stages of life here too, right? Because Jay-Z's coming to this album, being 26 years old, you know, having a life to look back on, you know, in early 20s and a childhood to look back on. But also just, he was very self-assured on this album in a way that I think, you know, Nas is really self-assured at 19 on Illmatic. But I think this album, he kind of gave you the blueprint for who Jay-Z was, you know, right from day one. And he had, you know, previous recordings and stuff with Jazz O, um, Hawaiian Sophie. But I think that's a difference, you know, going into an album, being 26 year- years old, which for some reason, you know, has happened with a couple of these star figures in hip hop, you know, Eminem being 26 for his debut, 50 Cent for his debut. I believe Kanye was also 26 for his debut. So I think there's something kind of special about that age in hip hop. And, you know, the stardom that can kind of come with being, you know, fully assured and and knowing who you are. It's really interesting, too, because when you contrast it to Illmatic, because it's so crazy how both, you know, artists were 
so assured you know Nas a, a little bit of a younger age but I, I felt that like I felt that over the years that Jay-Z's probably been a lot more consistent just in terms of uh, the overall quality of his releases but like 26 is an interesting age I mean I, I think that you get over the I mean like my early 20s just kind of felt I mean you tell me how you feel about this my early 20s just felt like an extension of my teenage years and you know I was you know you're just trying to figure the world out but as you know you start to march towards 30 you start to get a narrative in your head and a better sense of who you are and like your tastes and stories you want to tell and you know like he had years worth of of experiences to kind of draw from this and you know he kind of this is a contributor to the of of the of the mafioso rap style which is really kind of taking gangster rap you know the more grimy version of gangster rap and like making and adding the, this idea of like of of you know refined tastes and cigars and cristal and you know what i mean and, and and this idea that you can enjoy the finer things in life you know even if you've been you know living kind of operating in the streets and it's just really really kind of an intense album and it's 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 funny having seen his entire career and what's kind of unfolded and how he's taken you know the street mentality and really kind of put it into a business mentality and then looked at it's like well how are we doing how are we engaging this in the community and how are we establishing you know wealth for the black community it's it, it's it's a pretty crazy evolution well i think you know that's, that's something i wanted to touch on too is mafioso rap where does this album stand for you in that category and you know what other albums do you think belong there or you know contributed to that genre the subgenre uh cuban links i would think is the is the other i think this is pro- this and cuban links and i mean you tell me um the infamous like what do you i think are probably the three that really coalesce it you know i mean that really kind of define it yeah i think i would probably put in um like do or die with az i think yeah. az is a big a big figure in in the mafioso rap world mm-hmm. fish scale maybe not so much uh what about the firm album yeah i you know what that's that's probably a good thing fish scale is interesting too because like you know like i i you could definitely probably throw in something like supreme clientele like yeah like in in there as well because it's you know, especially with the whole, like, you know, Raekwon and Ghostface Killer relationship, you know, they, you know, kind of joined at the hip on, you know, in terms of features. Uh, Fish Scale's interesting because, like, I feel like he was trying to make up, like, a blaxploitation, ver- uh, like, movie, but in an album. So I think it kind of returned it more to the, you know, the funk influence of the 70s. But I think, like, that's, like, I, I think that's the still uh, in the same idea as well, in the same headspace for sure. Yeah, I think like someone who's continuing that genre to this day is definitely Rick Ross. And I think he's really been the embodiment of mafioso rap and taking, you know, like you said, the street element and adding things to make it a bit more refined. You know, the cigars, the luxury fabrics, uh, champagne and all that stuff. It's this kind of continuation of the 90s of this hyper capitalist ethos that's embedded in rap but maximized and combined with what was going on in the film worlds and contrasting against the 
realities of, of the streets in the 90s and, and 80s and then boring from the film aesthetics of movies like Scarfaces and, you know, these organized crime movies. And it just really created the perfect kind of blend for music at the time. You know, it contrasted a little bit of the shiny suit era that was kind of, you know, in some of the same spaces as it, but kind of coming in behind it. And then it wasn't as like guttural and raw as, you know, the street rap that was going on. So I think, you know, it kind of really said that, you know, I'm a boss. I know a lot and I've seen a lot and, you know, you you need to call somebody to get to me kind of thing. And I think that was, you know, what made the genre so cool and so palatable. And I think sonically it matches that too because it's a very smooth album. Like it's very it it, it it like it doesn't have a lot of sharp edges on it. I mean it has I mean it has moments with of menace and and um you know where it's muscular, but it it's it, it's a really kind you can chill and listen to this album. You know what I mean? Like you can get into that. Like you can get into a chilled out headspace, smoke a joint, and listen to it and just vibe on it because everything is very. You know, it is it, very laid. It's very laid out well, very smooth. And I love. It's funny because you mentioned, you know, like Scarface and like Carlito's Way is another one. It pull they, they kind of quote from uh, on some some of these mafioso albums. And it's funny because the um, if you, I think it was the thirtieth anniversary of Scarface, the thirtieth anniversary of the movie, they released um, you know the, the the big edition with the money clip and all that. But it also had this. I think it was a Def Jam documentary included with it that was talking about like the influence of Scarface on hip hop, and they they mentioned Reasonable Doubt, and it's 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 pretty funny. So, what do you think you know hip hop was as a whole when Reasonable Doubt dropped? What was going on? You know what was the talk of the town to um per se you know at that time well i think hip-hop was really going through its golden age and um i think that if you look at important moments in music for very for various genres uh you're gonna look at like 1958 to like 1965 for for soul and like it's formative obviously as we move on <clears throat> you know, Aretha Franklin's going to release a lot of really important music, but that those like coalescing moments for Soul and how it came together in Motown. If you're looking at rock music, you're really looking at like 1967 to 1976, and in terms of just the amount of creative energy getting completely exploded everywhere, going from psychedelic rock uh, to to the backlash of it with punk. But I think hip hop at this time is in a golden moment probably from about 1988 to 1998 i'm not trying to exclude any albums after that but where there is just such a high concentration of classic albums that absolutely formulate how we understand pop music and i think you can't understand pop music in general and its history without understanding this time period for hip-hop i mean you have the west coast is blowing up uh has blown up my apologies and you, Dre, you have Tupac, you have then on the East Coast, Notorious B.I.G. You have Wu Tang Clan. Wu Tang Clan has dropped their first album. They're gonna drop. They're gonna drop Wu Tang forever. And you know the Fugees have happened. And and like there's a lot of things here that are happening. And there's a lot of great music. And then he drops this bombshell right in the middle of it. And I I think that. This is a very important time for music, and if you're dropping an album that is recognized as one of the best moments 
within it, that's pretty significant. And I mean, he was able to kind of join and, and get mentored by guys like Notorious B.I.G. who were just so fucking talented and, you know, and guys like, you know, RZA and Raekwon and, and, and just being in the same ecosystem while it's happening. Uh, it, it it was it's a, a clearly a special time for music and reasonable doubt has now more than become part of that and a defining moment within it. Yeah, I also wondered too about the kind of golden age there with hip hop because I also wonder you know hip hop at this age is kind of laying its building blocks down. You know these albums are classic classics because you know this was the first time a lot of this stuff was being done. It hadn't been done before and. You could kind of enter in new entries into what would become hip hop at this moment. So even listening back now, you I'm hearing, you know, vocal cues and lines that Drake has used um, since. And I think, you know, people sometimes like get at, at him for certain lines. But if you don't know hip hop or study hip hop, you wouldn't get what he says. You know, Bill so big, they call him Williams for real is, you know, a line from Jay-Z on this album. Mm-hmm. So you have this. This era, you know, I I get what you're saying about golden age. And I think that, you know, hip hop maybe has had a few or, or close to a few. But I think I wouldn't say as much golden age as much as it was a foundational age. and Because people were breaking the limits and the notions of what we knew hip hop to be. And they were forming those things here. Um, and I think this album does that a lot. And I also think that if you don't have Illmatic to kind of compare it to this album becomes, you know, the one of the, you know, maybe top three or top two, which it might still be, but defining albums of the genre and also of an artist who created such a huge and long legacy. Absolutely. I think for me, this is a a golden age because this one, you're going to have three of the greatest debut albums, not even just, and we're going to get into, I know the, the more of the, what is the overall thing? Three of the greatest debut albums in pop music history. You got Ready to Die, um, Illmatic, and Reasonable Doubt released within a fairly uh, concise period of time. And just the... It just becomes classic at this point. This is where their the, the albums are their albums that can't be denied within not like not, like you're not just talking about them at this point with as hip hop albums. You're talking about them as these like fully fleshed out works of of art and they 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 just really are able at this point, you know, whether you're talking about Biggie, whether you're talking about Wu Tang Clan, whether you're talking about Nas, whether you're talking about uh, Jay Z, and you know a bevy of others, Mob Deep, they're they're just able to kind of transcend genre at this point, and and it's something that I mean, these are Library of Congress albums. Yeah, and I think that you know, there's no way that you can't you can deny that fact. Like these albums, like this album. Well, I think, like, even to move in, into our favorite tracks, like, this album pretty much doesn't really have a, a bad song on it. This has no. maybe one song that <laughs> like, I, I I sometimes skip. But other than that, like, listening to it on the, you know, on the way here to record, I was, like, floored. And every time I hear this album, I think I feel the same way about it because it is just so well thought out, so thoroughly produced. And this was in an era when 
you had to pretty much have demos that you were floating to record labels and this whole stories and the, and the mythology behind this of Jay-Z, you know, trying to chase down a record deal with Dame Dash and, and Biggs in tow um, and eventually creating Rockefeller Records and getting, you know, that behind him and having a machine and and doing that. And this album kind of being the building block for all of that, for all the success, you know, for the billions of dollars that we, we he now is worth. It's a tremendous amount of heavy lifting uh, to get this done because, like, you, you're, again, you're, you, you kind of hit it there. Like, you're talking about the creation of a, a record label as well and uh, an empire. And I just, like, the tracks on it, there's, no, as you said, there's nothing that you skip. It's more like there's songs I want to hear more f- first. Like, that's it. You know what I mean? Like, I generally my favorite track on it is Brooklyn's Finest. I love that. I fucking I, I'll listen to that song over and over again. But like Cashmere Thoughts, Regrets, um, Coming of Age, and Hats Off to Memphis Bleak, fucking fantastic. Uh, on that Friend or Foe, fucking DJ. That's that that's a primo beat. And you know it, it's it's just you hear the amount of work that has gone into this. And this is again a first album, and it's it's the it's the rock with which he literally the rock no pun intended uh with which he built his empire it's 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 the it's the cornerstone and everything else kind of fanned out from there and i think that it it really kind of captures a place in time not just for you know popular music or you know for various people but also of an industry and that is going to change a ludicrous amount um over the next few years as Jay-Z kind of gets into the uh, stratosphere. So I think if, if I'm choosing my favorite songs on this album, I'm going to go with feeling it, the evils, um, the evils, evils and then can I live? Yeah. I love that. That's that Snoop Dogg sample on it is so so amazing. And it's like, it's something special to me to like sample a song that came out, you know, three years before this album and have it, you know, by the time I was hearing this song, you know, out of my own volitions, probably, you know, a good six years after this album came out or five years or so. Um, but it already sounded classic to me and it sounded classic when Snoop Dogg said it originally, but to have it here and included, it just like, this is like, what pre West Coast East Coast beef, but it, it was just like perfect amount of samples and scratching and and just really included in the canon of hip hop and that's what it felt like on this album. It shows a lot of really good taste too, just in terms of beat selection and what's used and the flow. It it like it's not as I kind of mentioned, it's not overtly aggressive. It, it it's very it really kind of paints just a different like narrative for what gangster rap is and it's very much the the next evolution and you know like 22 twos is incredible i love that too politics as usual i mean there's some really freaking good stuff clark kent has got some great shit on this uh from a producing standpoint and it's you know um uh, you, in terms of features, I mean, like, what was your thoughts on that? Like, what do you like? Obviously, I mean, the Big. You, you start the album with 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 Mary J. Blige. And, you yeah. know, track three is Biggie. Uh, you know, track nine has Foxy Brown. 
uh, track 11 is Memphis Bleak. Then you have Big Jazz and Sauce Money, you know, on track 13. Like, this... Would you say, what, is Illmatic only one feature, technically? Is AZ the only feature on there? Yeah, I mean, I think he he, sh- he saved all his feature energy for the producing roster, which I think was yeah. a smart way of doing it. Well, well how do you think this, this roster holds up to Illmatic? And, and I don't want to compare the two albums like unne- unnecessarily, but I think that they are really the only albums that kind of stand out uh, and can be contrasted, you know, in terms of legacies. Yeah, I think, like, it, I'm sure this will raise massive amounts of controversy just in terms of, like, the way I put it out. I would say that lyrically, Illmatic, I mean, it's probably the greatest hip-hop album of all time. And this, but I will say with this, Illmatic is made with a bunch of different producers, and it's still, I mean, not to just throw them off as a bunch of different producers, they are among the greatest hip-hop producers of all time, and it is very likely the greatest hip-hop album of all time, Uh, but it's... It's pretty smooth for being made from different, you know, from so many different, you know, contributions. One thing I think Reasonable Doubt where it has is it is just a smoother, more like, like, I think it's more one thing uh, from beginning to end. I think it's more just in terms of um, just going from part, you know, going from point A to point B just um just sonically a lot more tight whereas i think that illmatic is infinitely better from not infinitely better but better from a lyrical point of view but i also think there's something to be said about like bringing these individuals in like brooklyn think about where hip-hop is at this time and you and you do this track with notorious big brooklyn's finest is there a better way to come out at this time with a better and a better way you know to kind of show that you know you are part of a larger story than that right and then working with people like mary j blige working with people like foxy brown there's something to be said about um the sonic variety of bringing in other voices that i do enjoy well like this this album really is cinematic and the supporting cast on this album you know put it up there you know with a mafioso movie because you have the supporting actors you have, you know, the Robert De Niro that is Biggie or, you know, however you want to call it. Like, it's all here and it's all laid out well. And then, you know, Ski Beats, Clark Kent, DJ Premier, handling the majority of production, the Nas sample on Dead Presidents 2. Like, there's not really any clear missing here at all. Like, it's all very carefully considered. It's all together, you know, having Dead Presidents 2 as opposed to Dead Presidents 1 on the album. Um, it's just, it just pretty, pretty flawless to me. Yeah, and it's, I think the cinematic element of it is kind of the best way of explaining it sonically, how it kind of goes from one, it, 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 everything is a logical progression from one to the other, uh, from a sonic point of view. Obviously, lyrics, fantastic versus are top notch all of this kind of stuff but just in terms of how it unfolds it very much feels like an album sorry a, a movie that is scored it's like a it's like a film score that people are rapping over what's your favorite three three song run on here 
Uh, I love the op- how it opens. I really love uh, Can't Knock the Hustle Politics as Usual, Brooklyn's Finest. I think it's really fucking sick. But then I also like Friend or Foe, Coming of Age, and Cashmere Thoughts as well. Because I really enjoy Friend or, Friend or Foe. Um, Coming of Age, fantastic. Love the Memphis Bleak uh, um, verse. Uh, so, you know, that's really fucking good too. But then there's also, like, it's hard because there's, like, Devil's 22 twos and Can I Live? Like, it's, like, there's really good parts here that like if like you're saying it's supposed to be a movie and a, and, and a cinematic thing you could put a little short film together with some of them you know what i mean yeah i think i'm you know gonna go with tracks four to six which is dead presidents two feeling it and the evils um i think that's one of my favorite three song runs on any album it's really it's really good dead presidents is such a good fucking yeah. track i don't think there's even a, there's any wrong answers to this uh when it comes to reasonable doubt because it just unfolds so well it just it, it's just you know what it is it's very it's it, there you can tell that there is a lot of thought put into how it's just going to be constructed what the track listing what the sequencing is like you know there's a lot of curating in terms of what this experience is going to be that i think you're not gonna like i'm not gonna like i don't think you're gonna see it until I mean, it, it blueprint would be another one that I think is very well sequenced uh, in terms of like how it goes from one to the other. So, do you think this album kind of lacks the pop flair that we get from Jay Z after this album on everything else? Like, do you think that's missing from from here? Like, I think that's you know maybe an element that Jay Z picked up on after this album. Yeah, but I don't. I don't like. I don't. I don't think that's a detriment to it, though. I like I I don't consider that a negative because if I was to say what are my favorite Jay Z albums, like the ones that like if you're to if you're to listen to an autobiography about Jay Z, let's say uh you know you know the book doesn't exist, uh, uh Jay Z Dakota doesn't exist, and you needed to learn about his life just by listening to his music. My opinion: it's Reasonable Doubt, it's Blueprint. It's Black Album, and it's 444, 444. Like, those to me, like, they don't have the massive, as much pop sensibility, even though those albums are, like, fucking, they have bangers on them. Like, for me, like, that's where, like, the other tracks are, like, when you're and when you're on, you know, you're talking about, um, you know, albums like fucking, um, like, even some of the other Blueprints, but, like, The Dynasty and... Um, you know, in my lifetime and all that kind of stuff. Like, I think the pop sensibility came back, but I like this. Like, this is the kind of the Jay the Jay Z that I kind of like fell for, if you will. So, I think yes, that is a completely true statement, but I don't think it's a negative. I think these are the class. These are the these are the works that everyone are going to remember forever. Yeah, and I think what you know people love about Jay Z, what I love about Jay Z, is he always gives you this side of him. And he was willing to experiment and grow in other ways, but not leaving this behind. Like, you always kind of get this feel from Jay-Z on every single album. That he can still really rap well. He can still kind of give you that mafioso flair um, at the same time as, you know, trying to give you the crossover tracks that he he got really good at delivering on and playing in other styles and you know, collaborating with Juvenile or UGK to kind of get those crossover appeal records for Pharrell. But he still always can kind of give you this style. And, 
you hear it in flashes of brilliance other places and i think this album and american gangster kind of go hand in hand uh to me and i think american gangster is my personal favorite jay-z album it's really um, good it's really quite good as well yeah and i like any top three jay-z albums i always have to include that one so i think that this album laid the blueprint no pun intended for that <laughs> album and he really showed growth and maturity between the two like i'm not trying to knock the late 90s albums after reasonable doubt but like i just don't get the same joy out of in my lifetime and then like hard knocks and then life and times of sean carter you know like i don't get the same i don't get like i'm not saying i'm not bashing the music on it but in terms of like what gets me and what like pulls at my heartstrings you know, he doesn't hit again until Blueprint, and he hits it hard again. And then Black Album, I just, like, that's the one. I mean, we'll get into the albums in terms of where we think we they are and where, you know, what's what. But uh, I, I definitely think that he doesn't really hit these this kind of note again for another f- probably five years. Yeah, and I think that, that definitely makes sense. So... Let's get into the discography a little bit and, and, you know, where you kind of rank this one. Okay. So I think that, like, my two favorites are this and Black Album. Like, this was kind of one of the albums of my teen years, but um, Black Album was definitely one of the huge albums of my 20s. And I just love, and it's another one where every single song on it, I'm listening to it and there's just so much it's it, it's such a, a a sonic ride and it almost uh, black album almost reminds me more of something like illmatic where it's this like crack team of producers on it you know you got Eminem you got Just Blaze you got Rick Rubin you got Kanye West and it just kind of like really kind of co- like comes together well but i think this in terms of the album that is from start to finish the best crafted i think it's probably his number one but my favorite would probably be black album so i think for me you know your point about uh the black album being like illmatic really really hits home and i think he really went out of his way to combine a lot of the things he was really good at during his career on that album. And he gives you so many different sides of himself. Like, I feel like that album, you know, it's blueprint on acid. It's, you know, it's, uh, it's, um, reasonable doubt on that. Like, you know, he just like picked up the pace on every single album that he had done before and really tried to fuse them all into one. Um, but using the foundations of kind of everything he learned all the way. So I think that makes, that's a really good point. Yeah, I, I I think that you know, like like the the sheer amount of producing talent that is on that album is just overwhelming. I mean, well, how what would round out your top three? Like, like what is like for you? What is it? Like, what are the ones that have endeared to you, have been endeared to you the most? So I think American Gangster is my personal favorite album. Uh, and then on any good day, it's between Blueprint, Black Album, Reasonable Doubt, and then my third is probably 444. Um, 
and so they all kind of connected with me with different for different reasons but i really spent a lot of time with american gangster and it was kind of he was on a bad album run he'd done kingdom come it was objectively terrible yeah objectively i like i think i say terrible for blueprint three i can't remember the order right now but that is that that comes after yeah um it's it's fucking um i think it's a black album then kingdom come which is like the comeback when he was supposed to retire and then i think right after this american gangster because the movie yeah and then he did blueprint three which is like a huge miss but like yeah and then two bad albums post american games but i thought like american games was just a flash of brilliance he just seemed like he really like used the movie to find a way to make a new album and make it feel new and feel also like touches of his old stuff and he really like used the narrative i think it was super motivated i think it was super motivated too because like he just kind of said i i uh, you know i have this all this music that i kind of that is inspired you know that i really i i you know i really kind of um identify with um fuck frank why can't i remember Lucas. lucas Frank Lucas. He's like, I, I, I kind of identify that and see that. And, um, you know, he's like, I'm going to put this out and it's going to be like a complimentary. And, you know, it just ended up being good. Like rock boys is like one of my favorite fucking Jay Z tracks of all fucking time. Also, I believe, um, the beef with Nas ends on this album. Yeah. Well, you get success and black Republicans around the same time. Yeah. So when did black, Re- black Republicans was on, I think it was on a Nas album, maybe Untitled. Yes, that's right. No, 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 it was. Because I knew it was on fucking Kingdom Come, not that I would really know uh, or remember because I didn't really listen much to Kingdom Come. American Gangster is really fucking good. There's some, there's some, um, uh, what's that track on American, with, on American Gangster? It's got Beanie Siegel on it. It's right after Rock Boys, I think. It's oh, like that, ignorant, um, Ignorant Shit. Yeah, I fucking love that song. It's so good. That song's amazing. It's such a, it, because you can feel it in a movie almost. You know what I mean? Like it's like this well, could be some like druggy montage what, or something. That's why I think it really flashes back to like Brooklyn's finest, and like I think in the way that you know, uh, sorry, Reasonable Doubt is inspired by the mafioso pictures of the time. He used American Gangster to make the album, and I think that's why these albums have like a really sonic tie together. Yeah, and I think, I think when he, like it's it's when he gets away from trying to create pop hits that i i I, fe- I think he's good but this is kind of like what it really does is and i think whether you're looking at the whole gamut of his work you know from reasonable doubt hard knock life all the way to like 444 he has a, his level of versatility and even the stuff with you know like watch throne uh you know best of both worlds with r kelly although i'm not too much of a fan of the r kelly collaborations um but it shows a versatility and that he one is absolutely he understands the artistic importance and the economic importance of working with different people and how and what that can do and i i just think his ability i i I think that if you're looking for blueprints in rock music of the combination of business and art you're looking at david bowie he was very vocal about the need to do that and understand that and i think that jay-z is the hip the, the hip-hop version of it obviously um combining the you know combining uh business and hip-hop isn't a, a new thing even when jay-z comes out 
but I think that he's the one who combines the highest level of art with the highest understanding of how being in control of industry economics improves his um his art. Yeah, and I think that makes a lot of sense. And I think that also kind of ties back into a little bit of the mafioso stuff is this idea of hyper-capitalism that was distilled so much throughout hip-hop and, you know, throughout a lot of these guys' lives growing up, right? They were told that, you know, they weren't shit, you know, because their economic background or whatever, and that you had to chase this American dream. And I think that really fused into the lifeblood of hip-hop at the time. Not like all hip-hop, obviously there's, you know, kind of stuff that's more, you know, esoteric and anti-capitalist or whatever, but a lot of stuff that kind of made the mainstream was these people just searching for, you know, their version of the American, of the American dream, which, you know, included these really fast cars or, or nice cars and chains and, you know, these status symbols. And that really carried out throughout hip-hop. And Jay-Z was... And it makes complete sense. It makes complete sense. And Jay-Z was really good at that. And he was telling you this whole time that he wanted to be, you know, a businessman. He wanted to be respected and and he wanted to be in the boardrooms. And and he was. Mm -hmm. And he became all those things that he outlines on this album. Um, And it was really like a self-fulfilling prophecy. I mean, if you're looking, if you look at it too, if you look at like, because, you know, we mentioned uh, Scarface and Carlito's way. But also, it's funny because Al Pacino was all up in this shit. They, t- the Godfather and Goodfellas and A Bronx Tale are quoted a lot, as well. And I think that it's interesting because reasonable doubt in the story of Jay Z. Also, there, there is. I'm not saying that they went through the same difficulties just because race in America has, you know. It's been uh, brutal, particularly on black people, but obviously, um, but Italian people, you know, when Italians came here, they had trouble finding the American dream as well. And they were kind of looked down upon. And this is where, you know, organized crime in America comes from, essentially. This idea of, you know, there's all these, as they would call them, pesanovantes, who are big, important people who you know, they, they they make money and and capitalism works for them, but then the Italian mafia cre- has to create this, like, shadow economy to, you know, for them to make money and for them to be safe and for them to, to, to have a shot at the American dream. And, you know, Jay-Z identifies with that and creates music that identifies with that same idea, just with different politics, obviously, specifically with Jay-Z surrounding race. And I think that it's really interesting how one group of people found commonality with another in the whole shadow of capitalism and, and how it can, you know, be completely not fair and um, brutal and vicious and, it, it, I, I just always find it interesting how that how that uh, comparison was made. If what I just said makes any sense at all, no, I think I think it makes complete sense. And I think you know, obviously, you spent time in the states, and like you know, we have friends and family there. But I think the idea of the American dream being so ingrained into the culture and the mythos of the states just translates on such a big level and that's why you know you have the connectivity between this the mob and hip-hop and you know all these different things is because everybody's out there in the same way trying to get the same things and the same aims um and it looks a little bit different from everybody and they start at different places but like that is the goal 
of, you know, being a citizen in that country is, you know, to get more than everybody else and to, you know, have some way of flaunting it and surviving it. Um, so I think that, you know, exists in a major way on here on this album and in everything that Jay-Z does. And I think that is part of us enjoying the album. Absolutely. And um, I think in his story, he makes just his story of his life. He makes no, you know, he doesn't really pull any punches. He's like, these are things that I had to do to get to where I had to go. And there's a lot of other people like me who did, he had to do the exact same thing. And um, the reasonable doubt is, you know, an example of those things that had to be done. And also what, the goal of transcending those things is and and this idea that you know we don't have to have we don't have to have like bad clothes or be associated with things that are you know low budget or anything you know we're we deserve a shot at you know a good life and we and the finer things and again the american dream and reasonable doubt is just such like that's why i think it it's it's the very much the beginning of the jay-z personal autobiographical narrative in his music and it's fu- and it, it's it, you because you can draw direct lines between it and 444 and that's what i kind of think is so fucking interesting it's like 444 the ideas he's talking about there he began them on reasonable doubt it's just he was at that point where he had to fight and um be ruthless to obtain it at times well i think that's what makes him such an amazing artist and like you know, the reason that we can do an hour long podcast on it. And, you know, I'm sure we could do the same kind of series on Jay-Z that we previously did on Kanye West Mm -hmm. is that his ideas and his themes are kind of present throughout his catalog and throughout his, his, uh, his, his tenure in the rap game. And I think that listening to this album, you know, you can draw parallels between this and 444 or American Gangster as I did. I'm sure you could do the same between the blueprint and the black album. It exists throughout his body of work. And I think this is the one album where I'm saying, where I kind of think he's almost playing a little bit of a character. And I think it's just in the subgenre of rap that he's doing in Mafioso Rap. There's a little bit of characterization that comes with it. But for the most part, Jay Z is who Jay Z is. And his story is the same and continues throughout. So this album is a perfect introduction to that person and that story and the, the legend that we enjoy. So I think, you know, with that said, where do you rank this album among all time great albums and and debut albums? Um, I think this is one of the greatest debut albums of all time. I think it's potentially, um, like when you think about the greatest debut albums of all time, for me, um, a lot of fools say Boston, but just because of so well, how well it's sold. I think, um, all Boston albums are terrible. Um, I mean, you're looking at really like, are you experienced? You're looking at Zeppelin one. Um, you know, you're looking at, uh, you know, you're looking at the first cream album. You're looking at, um, you know, like the early Beatles stuff. And listen, I know people, some people who are a little bit more closed minded bristle at those comparisons and, 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 and and the thoughts on them. And, you know, I mean, you're looking at like off the wall, Michael Jackson, like, so like you're like people will bristle at, at those comparisons. But I mean, at this point, if we're looking at Jay Z and what he's done for popular music and how important he is, then like, 
where else would you put him, right? So I think this, along with Ready to Die and Illmatic, are in the top 10 greatest debut albums of all time. I don't know really how it can actually be debated at this point that they don't belong with the ages, to be very honest with you. Yeah, and I, I think I agree with you. But I also think there's something owed to the demo era that we don't really have the luxury of in modern times um, is that you could kind of operate more or less behind the scenes until you were ready to make a debut album. Mm-hmm. And then when you were ready to make a debut album, you know, you had A&Rs telling you you were ready, you know, you had your team or whatever, but you needed, you know, a label kind of to get that out the door. So nowadays with artists, you can kind of drop a debut album and that might be the thing that gets you picked up and in your in your fans' heads, you know, or whatever, your debut project or mixtape. And I think that's why people try to differentiate these terms all the time is because they want to be included in the debuts for albums. They want to, their, you know, magnum opus to be the thing that, you know, gets recognition. But I think a lot of times that what people kind of did for demos back then or now, you know, these quote-unquote projects or mixtapes or whatever you want to call them um, now because it's hard to get to the point where you're ready to do a debut album or you might have to do it on your own in this DSP era or by the time a label takes notice, you know, you're five years into your career and you're calling a debut album and your fans are like, this isn't your debut album. You've already done like four albums. Yeah. So I think there's a lot to be said for, you know, getting ready out of the public view and the public eye um, and being able to put together a cohesive body of work that sounds polished. Absolutely. I don't think you can, I I don't think you can really come out of the gate this polished without having some, you know, without putting things together a little bit before. I mean, he was 26 when he started. Like, well, not when he started, but like when this dropped. So obviously, you know, years, the teenage years and his early 20s, he was doing something in music as well as, you know, what was going on in the street. And he just was patient and methodical with it. And I think that's one of the keys uh, to... I think what we really need to do is look at, but it would be, see now it would be hard to look at like what are the best mixtapes. Like I wish we like we created a working definition for it to figure out like what are the best pre-first album releases. You know what I mean? Like like that kind of showed that the glimmering, um, those glimmering moments of brilliance that we would kind of find out later. Yeah, I mean, I think that, like, you know, what comes to mind for me is, like, Frank Ocean's Nostalgia Ultra, House of Balloons, Drake's uh, So Far Gone, you know, even though he was two kind of mixtapes, quote-unquote mixtapes into it. But I think even So Far Gone, to me, almost serves as a better introduction to Drake than Thank Me Later, which is his debut studio album. Um, But I think think, um, So Far Gone, rather, is a better body of work um and then like you know to compare it to his protege Kanye how do you think um college dropout compares to reasonable doubt uh i think i well obviously uh there is 10 hours of uh tape on us talking about how much we love Kanye West and uh, much of it is just uh also getting back to the fact that um college dropout is fucking incredible i think uh, I think Reasonable Doubt is a better album. I think that College Dropout is great. 
I think late registration is where is is the is the I'm it's it's hard to say because like if you say obviously College Dropout is a fucking incredible album and it too is one of the best uh it would definitely be in the top 15 debut albums of all time as well um and probably probably up with those three but like with the three we mentioned before but I think Reasonable Doubt is a better album I think that late registration is where the real assertion of Kanye West is where that like that is like where he is going for the throat all the time and um because there's some moments on on uh on college dropout I'm like nah but then um from there it just takes off yeah i think there's a little bit more polish on late registration even though Kanye, even though College Dropout, I think is you know up there in my top five debut albums. Oh yeah, like it's it's fucking it's it's objective. That, that's why when you get into this, like you're talking about like one genius and another, and like you know it's like comparing Reasonable Doubt and Illmatic. It's like well, there are certain things that that Nas excels at, and then there are certain things that this album excels at, and you know you're kind of like splitting hairs to a point. Yeah, I think it's, you know, you're kind of absolutely splitting hairs at that point. What else do you think you're putting up there in, you know, debuts? What about Kendrick Lamar and Good Kid, Mad City as a debut album compared to, you know, his previous projects? Uh, I think it's a fucking incredible debut album. In fact, I would say that if you were to look at the top 20 or even going out to the top 50 debut albums of all time, you're going to see a more than adequate representation from hip-hop. Maybe even if you were to break it down by genres, uh, potentially more than other ones, because like as there's a little bit more of a methodical, methodical nature. I would definitely say Good Kid, Mad City is among the uh, best debut albums of all time. For me, I don't know where it meets. For me, it's like college dropout level. It's just not quite those three albums, which I would say are the best debuts in hip hop history. But yeah. at the same time. It's like such a fucking incredible album, and that may change as I listen to it more and more and more. I just think the problem is those like it's hard to talk about ready. To, I mean, you'd even have to probably bring the chronic in as well as the chronic ready to die, um, reasonable doubt and illmatic. It's tough. No, it's tough, and I think you know, as music fans, these are kind of conversations that we have. So. Looking back at 25 years of reasonable doubt, where do you see its influences in music today? Well, you definitely see them all over in hip hop. I think it's it's also what reasonable doubt represents. Like it's like it it kind of transcends even just the music. It's the the beginning of the Jay Z master plan and um, putting together this narrative that he's been cooking and. The album and the and the and, and making getting deals and like putting Rockefeller Records together, and you know, collaborating with all these people he's known. It's been cooking for a while, and I think the biggest thing that it really shows from just just an overall level is is patience, utter determination, and just seeing the whole thing through and you can put together something that is absolutely fucking incredible. Like this is a methodical thing that is put together and no pun intended again, he puts together the blueprint, you know, I think for, you know, people trying 
to really kind of assert, assert themselves in, in, in a newer situation. Yeah. And I think that, you know, is kind of part of it, you know, I just, I think that reasonable doubt is an album that is probably on a lot of people's mood boards and is on a lot of people's minds going forward as they make music. Um, but I wonder, you know, 25 years on, if it's an album where people are kind of influenced by the influences of, of this album rather than kind of going back to this album. Well, because a lot of the people who, li- who, cause I mean, a lot of the newer rappers, you know, are younger ones. I mean, like they weren't even like, were they born yet? Were they like cognizant of music yet? You know what I mean? It's one of those things that you kind of, um, it's like, okay, I listened to the Pixies, but I started listening to the Pixies because I listened to bands that listened to the Pixies and were influenced by them. So I got into the Pixies because I listened to Nirvana and Nirvana, like we like the Pixies. So I started listening to them and they're fucking awesome. I think that that's a good point. If you kind of work back sometimes, you know what I mean? So you might be getting super influenced by Jay-Z and you don't even know it. Yeah. And I think that's kind of what I picked up on listening to some Drake or even listening to this album um, is that, Obviously, Drake is very much a student of the game and that he's kind of giving you cues to this album a lot of this time. Um, So I think, you know, 25 years in, Reasonable Doubt remained a tour de force. It is a phenomenal debut, as we've discussed. There's not really any misses on here. It's concise. It has a perfect supporting cast of features. Really, really top-notch production. And it serves to introduce Jay-Z in a way that, you know, is only rivaled by a few other artists like Nas, like Biggie. It's a perfect East Coast album. It's a perfect hip-hop album. Everything from the cover work to, you know, every other facet of it. Like, it laid the blueprint for Jay-Z to be Jay-Z as we know it. Are there any other things that you'd like to say about this album before we wrap things up? If you're listening to this podcast and you haven't like you like listen sometimes you albums they're classic and sometimes they're just classic and you know it and you love it and you don't you know you don't listen to it recently. I would say if you're listening to this podcast fucking start to finish get the headphones on listen to it and just enjoy how good it is because it, this kind of work doesn't come along. It comes along a couple times a generation. And you should listen to everything Kyle just said there because it is true. Um, yeah, so I think, you know, both of us over here at the Rhythm Section are telling you to listen to A Reasonable Doubt this week. If you listen to it, you find things new on it, or you have anything you want to contribute to the conversation, please tag us uh, on Twitter or Instagram. We'd love to continue this conversation with you. Kyle, thank you so much for joining me to talk about one of the best hip-hop albums ever. No problem. I'm looking forward to doing this again soon. Um, when we listen to what we're going to listen to next, and I have no idea what it is, but I'm excited because I love talking about music with you. Thanks, man. We'll talk soon. Talk to you soon. Thanks for listening, guys. <laughs>